Welcome, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Worldwide, there are over 1 billion uh, people with disabilities. It's a, between 20 and 25% of the population, depending on yeah, which country. And the older the population gets, which we all know the population uh, is ageing uh, worldwide, then the, the seniors, the baby boomers, not only are they developing uh, mobility uh, needs, often using uh, you know the wheelie walkers or wheelchairs or other requirements, but they actually have the money. They are, you know, may well sell their house downsize and then use their money for travel. More and more people are wanting uh, experiences rather than just you know buying uh, items and goods. That's Dale Reardon, a blind traveler and creator of the website and blog, Travel for All. Dale's experience as a blind traveler is inspiring a community overlooked in the travel space and is educating a broader community of travelers and the industry to respect and accommodate travelers just like him. Travel for All provides a forum for people with accessibility needs who love to travel, from people with disabilities to the elderly and others with mobility, sensory, or communication limitations. Dale is an avid traveler, and he's never let his disability limit him from exploring the world. Whether at home in Australia or around the world, Dale loves to share his zest for travel, food, and wine, well, really champagne, with his wife, Joe and his trusted guide dog, Charlie. Here's our conversation with Dale Reardon. Dale Reardon, thank you so much for joining World Footprints today. Thank you very much uh, for having me. <laughs> I want to start out telling you that we're members of the same club, and that is the Club of Recovering Lawyers. So yes, I know. I, I was pleased to see that on your uh, website <laughs> bio to realize we had something in common there. Yeah, well, in addition to travel, of course. <laughs> So Dale, you're you're a traveler, as I mentioned, who happens to be legally blind. And I want to actually ask you, is legally blind the correct term or is it the same as visually impaired or blind? Just to yeah, explain for myself personally, I have no problem using any of those terms. I'm not uh, easily offended. Mm. Um, but there are differences across countries as to the language that they use. For example, at the moment in the US and the UK, which I actually agree with personally, disabled people are retaking their identity and calling themselves disabled people. Whereas in Australia, it's still a more, far more common to use people with disabilities as the phrase, uh, which I think is just convoluted language. And I'm, I mean, the fact is I am disabled. Sometimes I need some help. Sometimes it's not relevant. So it depends on the circumstances. When traveling, particularly in Asian countries and other places that, you know, where there is a language barrier anyway, sometimes I always use the word blind to make sure that they understand what I'm talking about and what help I might need. If I'm trying to get into a place that might be a bit nervous, I say vision impaired so that they don't get too worried. Mm. Um, because I, I personally do have a little bit of vision um, close up, which comes in handy when I'm, you know, at some tourist sites and uh, touring. I mean, in the strictest sense, blind means um, totally blind and then otherwise partially sighted or low vision. 
So you've done a lot of traveling. How many countries have you traveled to thus far? Yeah, I honestly haven't counted. My wife, she'd done quite a bit of travel before we got married, so she's done more than me. But I have been to uh, Asia, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Bali, Thailand, and then uh, Europe uh, to the usuals, UK, France, Italy, Spain, Venice. I've only been once to the uh, US, and that was some 20 years ago, just before 9-11. You have to come back again. <laughs> I, I may well now that uh, things will hopefully calm down with your new presidency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dale, when you visit a place in terms of your experience and how, and, and how that destination touches your sensory experience uh, senses, how do you get a sense of knowing that you're in different places I personally like experiencing the the food, the wine, the culture of a place. When I go travelling, uh, unless I'm trying to find a good uh, toilet, then, you know, I normally would steer clear from McDonald's and Hungry Jack's, <laughs> Burger King, because you want to experience and eat, uh, you know, in the place you're at. I mean, in France, I love going to the the lingeries and all the pastries and uh, Pierre Hermé and uh, things like that. If and when I go to cultural sites uh, such as, you know, historic houses or um, the Colosseum in Rome, uh, then normally the the guides and or the management have been very accommodating and let me go beyond the ropes and get a close-up look at something or in some cases actually uh, touch the exhibits depending on what they are. The Louvre uh, Museum in Paris has even gone a step further and they actually have replicas of some of their sculptures and art pieces Mm. and things in a separate room. Uh, So you can actually go and touch them all and, I mean, made by brilliant forges almost and, uh, yeah, actually see exactly what they are without having to damage the real item. When you travel, do you usually, um, if Joe isn't with you, your wife Joe, are you with Charlie when she's not with you, or does Charlie come with you at all times? Charlie, uh, he no- your, your guide dog. Yeah, if we're traveling domestically, uh, that is for us within Australia, then he is normally with us. I just prefer for my own personal stress and anxiety, and it's not the same for all disabled travelers. Uh, I prefer traveling with someone. Then, you know, he will travel with us. But when we've traveled internationally, uh, the quarantine uh, rules are just so strict and such a hassle that we haven't ever taken him overseas uh, because Australia doesn't have rabies and quite a few other um, dog diseases. Uh, So there are some exceptions to the rules for guide dogs, but you still have to get the the rabies vaccine and be inspected by vets and all these different things that take time and cost money. And, uh, yeah, it's just been too difficult. Yeah. When we look at the travel industry, there's kind of this – global perspective of how is the travel industry meeting the needs of so many diverse groups of people, whether they are blind, whether they have physical disabilities. What has been your experience in terms of some of the positive things that you can say that the industry is doing in some of the areas where a lot has to change to accommodate blind travellers. One of the things uh, I've noticed, and it's really only occurred in um, Europe when I've been there, that they uh, they don't like to make us uh, blind people queue. So whenever we turn up at places, we're, 
we quickly grabbed, even if we're not understanding the language, and taken straight up to the front and put straight through. When we went to the Vatican, I mean, normally you have to wait even a couple of hours in the, the queues and things, and we got you know through in a, a minute or so. So they are very, uh, yeah, accommodating that way. The most important thing I find, not just for blind travellers, but for anyone with some accessibility needs, is attitude and flexibility by the business. So they, they need to be welcoming, they need to be accommodating just to make any necessary uh, changes that might be required. So businesses need to empower their frontline staff to resolve any situation or give any special uh, conditions that might be necessary. There are some places, some things I've done in uh, Asia, for example, just getting on and off uh, some boats, um, going out to some islands off Bali, uh, where I've had to be you know, physically assisted by uh, the locals to get on, on and off the boat because, uh, oh, well, you might know there's often not proper jetties and facilities. Uh, whereas in uh, a country like Australia or even the US, the people would be too scared of OH&S rules and then you may just not be able to go on the uh, activity. So often some of those countries can actually provide the assistance you need without worrying about all the uh, legal repercussions. Mm-hmm. You know, as you mentioned, there's um, some countries like France, the UK, that have been very accommodating and very conscientious, but there's also, I understand you you have had some um, personal challenges that you faced as you traveled. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you have personally faced. Yeah, it's ranged from, uh, well, almost 30 years ago. I remember now in a restaurant, I was actually at a law students uh, conference and was uh, physically removed uh, from the restaurant. They didn't want me in there with my guide dog. Turned out very badly for them in that the uh, one of the other students with me, his father was the editor of the state newspaper and they made the front page and uh, some of the students did a bit of damage, unfortunately, to the restaurant after we left in retaliation. My mate, a problem over the years has been in um, taxis and other public transport in Australia and I know this problem exists in uh, all countries uh, the US and the UK uh, definitely and with Uber there as well in that lots of the drivers don't want to take a guide dog in the vehicle and they'll often make up so many other excuses but yeah it causes a a huge amount of uh, stress and you know I've had this problem even when going on uh, a first date with uh, someone about 15 years ago then yes the restaurant wouldn't let us in uh, so it wasn't a very good uh, first impression and I have had problems at some motels and hotels as well with not wanting the uh, guide dog uh, and America uh, is certainly a lot better for remedies. You have the Americans with Disability Act, the ADA, mm-hmm. and it actually has some teeth behind it. Uh, places can get fined and punished, whereas in Australia, it's very much a conciliatory uh, settlement process. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't resolve, you have to end up going to the federal courts, which is just ultra expensive and time consuming. I'm sure you use a lot of tools to research your travels, uh, particularly websites. What are some of the challenges and some of the accessibility issues that you face when trying to do your research? 
The two most common problems on any website in the tourism or hospitality sector are when they use um, calendars to try and make a reservation or their contact forms, which have many different uh, form fields on them. They often code these forms in an inaccessible way. Uh, I use a screen reader called JAWS to read out the uh, internet to me and let me navigate around the web page. And often they'll have a graphical calendar where you have to click on the numbers and it then fills it in for you. Uh, and all those things are completely inaccessible uh, and you just can't, uh, I can't choose the date, which means I can't make an inquiry, which means I can't make a booking. So the business may well lose uh, my business. Or alternatively, instead of getting a direct booking, uh, there are one or two meta search sites, uh, the aggregators that are accessible. Uh, so I use them and then the business might end up paying a 20% commission. So it's not in their interest either to have an in- inaccessible website. And the big problem, which I do see now is much improved, but uh, Europe was one of the last places in the world to tackle this. So many of their websites had flash on them and uh, flash built websites are completely inaccessible Uh, fortunately between google and apple uh, flash has now been uh, banned removed from the internet removed from the internet and that has vastly improved things as well but yeah there are and on websites often people uh, put on images or do graphical links to information without describing the link Uh, so yeah it is important if you're getting your website built to make sure your designer does it in an accessible way this is the award-winning world footprints podcast with ian and tanya fitzpatrick World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content. Here's more of our conversation with travel blogger Dale Reardon of Travel for All. As a blind traveler, Dale's mission is to make travel more inclusive and accessible to travelers with disabilities. Well, I read something you you mentioned um, in, uh, in our previous conversations that I wanted to ask you about. You said that attitude and flexibility are key components to providing an accessible, inclusive experience. What do you mean by that? If a change is necessary, some hotels, for example, normally you can't reserve a particular room unless you're at a certain elite tier level, um, such as Sheraton's, which we love staying at, the one in um, Port Douglas in far north Queensland. But they have certain rooms that open out onto the grass, which is, you know, perfect for toileting with a guide dog. So the ability to, you know, bend their rules and let you reserve a particular room uh, in advance might be one way of accommodating. Some uh, businesses might have certain specials or types of tickets. Uh, I know you have basic economy in the US now where it has to be booked online. In order to uh, book with a guide dog or assistance animal, then you actually have to ring up and make the booking and that can take up a lot of time. Qantas here in Australia, for example, has brought in, I don't know how many um, 
non-disabled people are taking advantage, but they now allow you to book your whole ticket uh, itinerary through social media. So I can actually just send them DMs on Twitter with my dates and the airline and they'll get back to me and book it in rather than having to spend, you know, an hour and a half on phone, on hold on the phone to get to their special assistance booking line. Uh, so that's something they did to be more flexible to everyone, but it's actually proven highly beneficial for disabled people as well. Have you identified beyond some of the things that you just mentioned, some of the things that you think would greatly improve your experience and the experience of other blind people that would not necessarily cost much for the industry to implement? Well, one, uh, for example, we stayed about 12 months ago now in a new uh, Novotel hotel in uh, Brisbane, Queensland, and they'd probably done what they thought was wonderful and modern and advanced, and they had all the controls in the room, the lighting, the air conditioning, the fan in the bathroom, the TV, the motorised curtains, all powered by a um, touch-controlled tablet. Uh, The problem was is that they hadn't um, used one with speech control on the tablets. I mean, iPhones, iPads, uh, even Samsung tablets, all of Android have speech on them. So I couldn't actually use any of the controls or facilities in the room myself. Whereas if they'd actually gone one step further, which would, uh, and put in perhaps say Alexa or uh, Siri or Google's voice assistant, then I could have controlled everything that way and, and I'm sure it wouldn't have actually cost any more money. One thing, um, addition in hotel in Barcelona, where we stayed 18 months ago, uh, had, and I'm sure they did it for language reasons, but it was way more uh, flexible and convenient. You could order your room service and things on their uh, website or app. uh, So you knew exactly uh, what you were getting, uh, you know, accessible uh, controls. And yeah, it overcame language barriers for everyone, uh, not just myself, that if they only had a printed menu in the room, I wouldn't be able to read it. And obviously through our business, uh, Travel for All, we're encouraging businesses to uh, work with us uh, to produce an accessibility uh, toolkit and information because often one of the important things that's hard to get is just knowing exactly what the property offers because just saying that a business is uh, accessible doesn't actually mean very much. Uh, Is it right for wheelchairs? Is it right for people with autism? Is it right for myself with a guide dog? So, yes, providing far more detailed information is one of the things that doesn't actually uh, cost anything but very flexible. Mm -hmm. And you you actually say that the phrase fully accessible is deceptive and and that's what you meant by that that it's not accessible for who it's not good for the operators to say it because they're creating unrealistic expectations uh Mm -hmm. someone will come along and you know say oh you said you were fully accessible but you don't have this the controls and the lift are too high for me in a wheelchair or anything that they've forgotten to think about whereas just because you can't cater for one type of disability doesn't mean you're not going to be able to suit, you know, 90% of the other people with different disabilities. It's not only misleading the people, but it's holding uh, business operators back from attracting business that they might otherwise be able to help. I want to ask, um, give you a second to talk a little bit about Travel for All, because my understanding it's kind of, um, this is a site you created that has a TripAdvisor type format to it. 
That's right. And one of the uh, reasons that we've called it Travel for All and not use the word disability in the title um, on the website is because many people, um, you know, my parents who are seniors, elderly with some uh, mobility requirements, don't consider themselves uh, disabled. Uh, So we want to make it clear that we're talking about any sort of uh, accessibility uh, or inclusivity improvement uh, feature and to help businesses attract and provide the information to that uh, target market. Because at the moment, uh, particularly with COVID restrictions, uh, international travel is you know impossible in most of the world. Uh, so you need to get as many local tourists and local visitors as you can. And we've produced this uh, platform and directory and online forums for travellers and operators to come together to uh, help share and learn about accessibility. Uh, When a business signs up, uh, we help them to produce their marketing materials. We have uh, some training courses uh, on the site to help them know more about accessibility and help uh, provide accessible services and yes we're hoping that uh, eventually it will become uh, very much like the trip advisor for accessible and inclusive travel to uh, give people a place to find out uh, where and what they can do and from a business's point of view we uh, don't want to restrict the benefits to just our directory. Um, We're going to, with our toolkit, help them produce the marketing information that they can use across all their channels um, to help them, you know, service uh, people with accessibility needs everywhere. Now, speaking of the market for accessible travel and inclusive travel, what can you share with our audience in terms of how large this market is. Worldwide, there are over 1 billion uh, people with disabilities. It's between 20 and 25% of the population, depending on which country. And the older the population gets, which we all know the population uh, is ageing worldwide, then the the seniors, the baby boomers, not only are they developing uh, mobility and needs often using uh, you know the wheelie walkers or wheelchairs or other requirements but they actually have the money they are, you know may well sell their house downsize and then use their money for travel more and more people are wanting uh, experiences rather than just you know buying uh, items and goods there is a lot of money for operators out there And one of the things that uh, operators need to understand is you're not just attracting the person with a disability. My spouse, uh, my wife, when I travel, she's uh, not disabled. When we've gone and had a staycation in the city here, we've then uh, stayed to a hotel that, you know, has wonderful facilities and grass on site for Charlie. Uh, Then we have dinner with other people at the hotel. Um, So they attract those as well. And often you go and stay in groups. If there's a, you know, a birthday party or a celebration, then the property that has those disability facilities might attract a group of 50 or 100 for a wedding or a meal uh, just by catering for one person with a disability properly, then the whole event uh, is put there. Well, all the countries you've been to, is there a country that really, I call it your soul country. It's a country that speaks to your soul. Is there a country that speaks to you like that? 
Yeah, for me, it is France. I just absolutely yeah, love it there. I feel at home. Uh, the food, the wine, the culture, their philosophy with uh, work, how, you know, they, they certainly uh, do think it's important for work-life balance uh, and how they treat alcohol uh, as well. That, uh, you know, you see people having you know, one glass with their lunch and it doesn't have to be like in Australia our getting drunk culture and binge drinking and things because I don't drink... Uh, my favourite wine in the whole world is champagne and I've been to the champagne region uh, three or four times now and uh, just, yeah, love going on the tours there and uh, drinking champagne. But the whole of uh, the you know, European diet as well is just so much uh, healthier and so much more enjoyable. So, yeah, it really is one of my favourite countries. You had me at champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've done a tour. I, uh, I must admit I did use my blindness as a draw card, but I've had a, uh, I've had a tour of Krug and uh, Tattinger and Gosse and uh, Billy Carr. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, it has been wonderful experiences there. Lovely. So if you were to travel, um, say, back to France, your favourite country, your sole country, it's a long-haul flight. If you could choose anyone to sit next to, past or present, who would that be and why? Oh, um... Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, apart from meeting some famous uh, celebrities, and you know, maybe s- someone like uh, Lady Di comes to mind. Then, you know, obviously at the moment in my present life, very happy and enjoyable to travel with my wife. You know, another lengthy story is our experiences with frequent flyer miles. So we love enjoying the uh, first class experience with champagne and everything on the flight. So we're very happy doing that together well your joe aside i mean joe's a given and yeah you're a given. <laughs> who else past or present yeah the only person off the top of my head is uh, someone like lady diana uh, because of yeah her charity work and her other uh, public service uh, involvement would be yeah fantastic experience i'm really impressed with dale dear. He is an explorer. Uh, He's somebody who's never let his limitations, you know, his vision stop him from experiencing something that he loves. And I got a kick out of his love for France. I could just see him and hear the smile in his voice when he's talking about France and the wine and the lifestyle. And that's what travel is meant to do for all of us. And I'm very impressed with his work with uh, Travel for All and certainly uh, his ability to fearlessly really go out in the world and explore it. Dale is really an accomplished person, whether we look at what he's doing with Travel for All or his previous life as an attorney. We know that training and becoming a lawyer is a big deal and it requires a lot of sacrifice and he's poured himself into his his uh, Dale 2.0 of sorts with travel for all and what I like about travel for all is that Dale doesn't focus on blind travelers or just his personal experience it really is about broadening the discussion of looking at accessibility issues, of bringing the industry in uh, to a 
commonplace, or really a, a forum, essentially. It's about inclusivity. He's exactly, inclusive. exactly. And so his, his content and what he talks about really is to speak to where a quarter of the world's population is with respect to some of these issues. Well, I'm glad we were able to introduce Dale to the world through uh, our podcast. In closing, I'd like to leave you with these words from Helen Keller, author, activist, and disability rights advocate. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we are so honored that you chose to take this adventure with us. Thank you for spending this time with us and allowing us to connect you to the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.